Adrian and I, as you know, are co co-lead pastors of Central Vineyard, and Mike too. And uh, Adrian has an important announcement to make about some changes we're going through. Uh, hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's wonderful to see your beautiful faces. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you guys. Um, I <laughs> just made that sound so dum dum. Um, I wanted to let you guys know, Central Vineyard, I am taking a, about a six-month sabbatical. And um, I've been praying about it for a while, and I've been um, thinking about it for a long, long time. And um, I am, it's like a little bit of a mix of joy and sadness for me to kind of step back and rest. You guys know me. You know that I am a busy mind and a busy body. I am not, not busy body in that way, but I am, I am just very, um, I have a lot of energy, right? You guys know that about me. And so one thing that I have felt invited into by the Lord is just rest and just time to um, kind of take care of myself and slow a little bit. And it's been really hard for me because I love working with my amazing friends and partners um, on staff and my husband. I love, I love working with Jeff. And um, so I'm actually really excited, but it's, there's also a little bit of a sadness there for me. So if you guys would just pray for me, pray for Jeff, um, I feel a, a ton of peace. I feel grateful for you guys. The way this is going to look is that I am going to be here. I'm going to be present. There are going to be weeks when I'm not here that I'm gone, but for the most part, I'll be in Columbus and around. So um, hit me up for tea. But <laughs> as far as um, questions about the running of the church, those things are going to go to Carl and Daniel and Katie and Rachel. So, um, and Jeff, of course. And um, so I just wanted to let you guys know that, and I wanted to ask for your prayer. And I know you guys love me. I love you so very much, and I'm grateful for you. Um, I want to leave yeah. us all in praying. So we're in kind of a symbolic, but more than that act. If you could just uh, reach out your hands towards Adrian. I want to pray a blessing for her. Father God, my dear wife, best friend, colleague in ministry, and sister in Christ, God. Lord, I pray for the best cups of tea she's ever had in the coming six months. I pray for a ceasing of striving, Father. I pray, God, that though you have wired her to always feel an intractable gravity towards any opportunity to serve God, I pray in this season that her gravity would be into your arms to rest, Father. That you would give her rest, you would give us wisdom in how to give her space, but how to be supportive friends and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that this would be a time where you speak to her, you speak your love, you speak vision, as she enters into uh, a, a different way of life in this season. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I have a kiss? All right, I want to make, so, uh, scripture reading, we're going to begin with the same scriptures we read last week. And you're saying, well, isn't that repetitive? I said, yes, I love repetition. 
Uh, we're beginning the book of Matthew, the beginning and the end, because the theme of Advent is our joy space, which is our space where we spend time with the God, Jesus Christ, who's with us. So we're going to have, uh, we're gonna have uh, David read first, and then June. Thank you. This is Matthew 1, 20 through 23. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. This is from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you. So uh, our theme for Advent has been Jesus is with us in this. Jesus is with us in this. And we've had a season of, you know, punctuated trauma, especially anyone who's had a loved one receive an illness. We've also had the trickle of trauma, you know, kind of like the, the slow onset of everything in life being changed. We've had uh, parents and caregivers who've had to move to being teachers, working full-time, and uh, becoming health care experts and health safety experts and navigating friends and relatives that totally have a different take on things than they have. We've been in also one of the most politically divisive times and scary times. We've also lived through a time where the injustice that's always been there in our country has been televised. We're in a time right now where what has routinely happened every day since these shores were first settled is now known to people. It's not, it can't be swept under the carpet. And we're seeing the first little bits of grass popping to the snow as the snow in the long, dark, cold winter ends. Those little uh, grass blades of justice that show, kind of like if you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that the reign of the white witch has ended. It was always winter, but never Christmas. But now Father Christmas is here, and we celebrate Jesus being with us and realizing we need more. And specifically, as we talk about Emmanuel, one of my favorite names for Jesus is God with us. Can you imagine someone's name is like, what's your name? I'm with you. I got you. I got your back. Well, you know, the name of God is, I got your back and a hug to boot. I mean, God with us, it's not just a statement of solidarity. It's a statement of intimacy. 
You know, most people in the world believe in some picture of God or another picture of God. But the uniqueness of the Jesus Christ revealed in the Gospels is he is the with us. And he loves us. And here's the issue with love is a lot of us believe God loves us. And I believe God loves you. And a lot of us have an understanding of love. But a lot of us, who here loves certain individuals that they sure as heck do not like? Anyone love someone they don't like? I mean, and, that, and Thanksgiving oftentimes is an opportunity to be around people you love but don't necessarily enjoy a time, especially during these times. And I might be wrong, but it seems like the scriptures don't command us to like people. But we are called to love and potentially die for people. We're called to relentlessly share the story of Jesus' relentless love and victory over evil and, and his accepting, loving, and redeeming nature. But we're not called to have fun being around certain people, are we? Right? But the scriptures say God delights in his children. And I love that metaphor of children. Because when we think of this, I, I learned this when my son was born. And I'm not going to go into the usual uh, long story I share about this. But just to say is, uh, when my son was born, my really only experience of him was losing sleep, earpiece piercing crying, and lots of diapers and pooping and defilement in my hands. That is what my son brought to the occasion, practically. And all I could think of was, I never knew life could be this good. I love this child. I did not know that I had that kind of love in me. And so that goes beyond love and like. That is cherishing. And I love the Bible-ish word, delighting. I, I mean, I think of my wedding day and thinking, how did this happen to me? I couldn't even get a second date back in the day. And then I think of my children being born. But the thing is, Adri and I entered into our marriage where we had a reciprocal relationship. But to love a child that can never hope to reciprocate what you do in that season of life, we do not just believe God loves us, we believe God likes us. Sinners in the hands of a loving God, sinners in the hands of a God who even if you're pooing your diapers and barfing on him, as, metaphorically speaking, as a baby, he is glowing towards you. And, as we, and I believe the greatest sense of healing for trauma, traumatic, traumatic memories, uh, neglect, um, all the things that as an early child form our neural pathways, the story of Jesus becoming our story in an imaginative way where we can go to and live within that story of Jesus' love is our home base for healing from past trauma and our empowerment to engage current crisis and our hope for a rich future. The joy place of God's arms is our home base for everything God wants to do in our lives and in the world. And so for our time and meditating on our longing for Christ to come more deeply into our lives as we prepare for Jesus' big birthday party is to just explore this one idea that God is with us in this, which within that is the idea 
Jesus doesn't just love you. He's head over heels in love with you. And he'll take as much time as he can get with you. Not in a shameful way. Not in like, why aren't you with me right now? He's like, oh man, I wonder if the kids are going to come over today. That would be the best. So we, uh, last week, talked about finding, through imaginative prayer, a joy space to become our home base. A lot of people in the inner healing tradition call that a safe space. And long before our culture was talking about safe spaces, uh, within the Christian tradition, the idea of the contemplative practices of God's presence have been referred to for the longest time as a safe space. And as people look for safe spaces, lowercase s, the arms of Jesus are the uppercase space, uh, safe space. So some of you will know this, but uh, what I, we've been talking to about a church is really teased out in my friend Jeff and Sid's book, Does God Really Like Me? And we studied this over Lent because I couldn't wait for an advent to do it. And we're going to go back and touch base with this book. We are just teasing the surface, but I've got Christmas presents for you. If I can remember where I put these. Oh, why did I hide them? So if a lot of you have this, but it, um, I might not have enough, but who per family doesn't have a copy of the book, Does God Really Like Me? I know you're on sabbatical, Adrian, but... And Dana, can, can we distribute these to each family that could use them? And it's also on Amazon or Kindle. And if you're low on funds and you didn't get a book this week, let anyone know and we'll get it to you. So uh, this is a book I dreamed of writing someday, and Jeff and Sid wrote it. And I'm glad they wrote it before I did because they did such a brilliant job. So this is supplemental material. So... Uh, if you didn't hear last week, please go onto Facebook or whatever digital venue we have it lingering in the, on the cloud. Re-listen to last week, and I'm going to add one little bit. So this, we're adding each week a little bit. Um, I had a great privilege. I had a great privilege of, uh, alongside Adrian, leading a retreat for five of my daughter's friends in Hocking Hills this weekend. And it was amazing. We had representation. Let's see. We had uh, both Ethiopia, um, an Ibu friend of mine, and uh, Ethiopia and Nigeria. And uh, Ethiopia had a friend of mine now. And from Nigeria, we both had Ibu and Yorubai people there. And I had a dear friend from Madagascar, which is totally out there for me, and uh, uh, Kathleen, and a friend from. Uh, South, South India. So I said, we have the United Nations talking about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit showed up. We had this big, intense retreat schedule, and we ended up just doing one thing and letting God work through that. And that was an imaginative prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you it, the, uh, what God showed my friend Chiama, who is this brilliant scientist getting ready to graduate in Chicago. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about healthcare policies and microbiomes and uh, expanding universe and quantum theory and how it relates to the love of Jesus. Uh, I will not rehash that conversation, but since my dad passed away, he was the guy I had those nerdy conversations with. This is the first time I've been able to have a conversation that went to this high echelon of geekness with my friend Chiama and uh, my new soul sister, uh, and the Lord showed 
her something that showed us all something. And I, this is the best story I have heard that illustrates how we can find a joy place, joy space in our imagination where we engage with God in his love and find healing. Friends, a lot of us feel like we're not smart enough. We feel like we, we have different, no matter who you are, you think there's, you wish you knew more, did more, or maybe some people, I know people that actually feel ashamed because they didn't finish high school, and like most of the world didn't finish high school. You're cool. Or other things, but you don't have to be smart in your eyes to do this. But everyone's got an imagination. Here's the proof. I can tell everyone here, some think, well, I don't really have an imagination. I'm more, I want to give a negative example of how everyone has an imagination. Have you ever worried about what people think of you? And when they treat you a certain way, you imagine that there's a meaning about how they treated you, about you not being good enough? Has anyone ever interpreted someone who does something to be thinking you're not good enough? That's your imagination. You don't know what they think. They could just be socially awkward. They could have bowel trouble. I mean, you know, but our brains have imagined that someone doesn't like us. But we can also train our brains to interpret everything in light is Jesus loves me and I can go anywhere. If God loves me, I'm cool. No matter what anyone thinks, no matter who I think is going to exclude me or not accept me for reason X, Y, or Z, we can imagine the Jesus who accepts us. And not only that, we can learn to accept the people who find us unacceptable. Which for uh, a guy that grew up, I grew up and I loved it. Halfway through high school, I discovered what it was like to have friends. Most of my childhood before that, that was a foreign concept to me. And so I know how valuable this image of God loves us is. So Chioma, Chioma, her story was this. So Chioma grew up in a household in Nigeria where financial resources were extremely scarce. Uh, it wasn't like, you, they, uh, even by the, the standards of the people in her community, uh, her parents made great sacrifices to provide her an education, but everything else was very lean. But uh, Chiama had a mother who made up for lack of resource with love to the nth degree. And specifically, the love language that Chiama's mother spoke is, I'm going to team up with you in doing whatever you have before you. And she had these amazing school projects. And school project, homework meant mom time. Can you imagine that? If anytime someone gave you homework, you said, this is going to be great. Mom's going to help me. Homework meant mom time. And she had a project where they had to do an art project where they somehow expressed all the sub-Saharan trade routes in Africa. You know, we do state reports. In Nigeria, they did sub-Saharan train routes. And she came home, and her mom had seen the syllabus and knew this project was coming up. She goes, let's get to work. And their place was a kitchen table. And on that kitchen table, her mom, would, she would get home first, and she would anticipate mom's coming home from the market with today's dinner. And mom would always bring something a little extra, maybe a fruit, an orange, a candy. She always knew mom is going to bring something extra for me. And then mom's going to sit next to me with her arm around me, and we're going to do this project, and it's going to be a blast. 
And her mom went there and goes, oh, we can really do this. Her mom said, found some scrap lumber, cut it out. And then they roughly etched out the shape of Africa. And I, I think they found a way to cut it out. And then they mixed up paper mache. And I don't remember the recipe, but her recipe of paper mache smelled exactly like a food she ate every day. And as they made a paper mache deal, it was a 3D relief map of Africa where they built this stuff, painted it and all this, and her mom and her just talked, and she was able to just let what's going on in her life, what is on her heart. This became, sometimes it's hard to connect when you're just staring at someone in the eye saying, now tell me your deepest soul. But when you're working on something, it just flows. And in that place, it was like, as she described this, this is like heaven for her. She felt the love of God, even though it wasn't like Jesus was physically next to her, but she experienced Emmanuel, the presence of Jesus, while doing homework with her mom in the kitchen. And so in this prayer time, we gave everyone an opportunity to ask her questions about this area. Well, what, what does it smell like? What sounds did you hear? What are the walls like? We don't even know what your house looks like. Tell us about your house, the table. What were you wearing? What was your mom wearing? And the reason behind that, and this has been scientifically proven through using fMRIs to dynamically measure what's going on in the brain, is when you intentionally flesh out a memory, what happens at a neurological level is your body has the exact same experience, emotionally, mentally, and biochemically, as if you were there when it was happening. It's actually a form of time travel. So what happens is you experience that joy over again. And it's not an echo of the joy. It is the joy. At least if we think that these instruments are right, what they tell us. But this is something that especially the, the contemplative monastic tradition is known for a couple thousand years. That the importance of using our imagination as a mode of prayer. Imagination is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And listen, if you're like me, you've got some really weird aspects of your imagination. All right? Maybe you're not. And it doesn't mean that everything we imagine in this time is like gospel truth. What it means is even if it's cluttered a little bit, God will still be present in our imagination. The Bible says to renew our minds with truth. And that is not going over a spreadsheet of rules Renewing our mind. God did not give us a spreadsheet and a procedure manual. He gave us a book of stories that over and over emphasize. They look forward to or deal with the implications of God is with us. So Chiyama uh, made that her joy space. The idea that mom is getting ready to come in. And what we asked uh, Chiyama to do at the second part of this is, I want you to imagine where was Jesus in this room? If Jesus was, we know Jesus is there through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is, the Spirit of Christ is present everywhere. Where was Jesus in between the lines? Where was Jesus behind the scenes? Where was Jesus next to you, inside you, below you, above you, uh, in the adjacent room? And as a place of prayer, as spending time after a real difficult, whatever's going on, Entering into that place, closing your eyes, getting the place that's quiet enough, entering into this joy space as a home base. 
I'm just about ready. I've got about 90 seconds here. Entering into this place and then imagining Jesus in that place with you. And when you pray, your prayer is asking Jesus questions or telling him how you feel. Or maybe saying, Jesus, what do I need to know about you right now? Because if you've marinated in the world of listening to the Gospels or reading the Gospels, you're going to know a lot of Jesus-y things. And the Holy Spirit will bring those to recollection and personalize them towards you. And my friend Chiang, she's a scientist. Like, actually, everyone there, like, each person's education, like, took my whole family of origin, combined and doubled it. So I was around, like, pure brilliance, and I'm here, I got a bachelor's degree in comp studies that I did okay in. And there's a little sitting there. And when she went there, the Lord just started speaking to her. My friend who's concrete operations had a visceral experience of God's love. And when I, at the beginning of the weekend, she had a kind of a joy vibe. But after this, she was smiling like the whole week. Remember, it's like, it was like, it got turned up to 12. So, I believe, uh, as I was thinking about that joy space, I was thinking of a cold, for myself, you know, a winter's day, roaring fire in our fireplace, and my, little, my son Ian, who sleeps on the floor, grabs a pillow, falls asleep with a slack jaw and drooling a little bit. My daughter has her headphones on, listening to Taylor Swift, can't, can't hear anything, and she's knitting in front of the fire. And Adrian is on the blue couch, wrapped up in a woolen blanket, sleeping, which sleep does not come easy to this precious woman. And I'm wide awake by the fire looking at this and saying, ah, winning life. This is amazing. There's no trip to Disneyland can touch this. And that has become my mind palace, joy space, home base. That, like, imagine Jesus tiptoeing into my room and saying, I won't wake him up. Hey, let's talk. And that, to me, is a place I can pray and really hear from Jesus. So Adrian is going to lead you in an imaginative prayer. And for those of you that were able to isolate or think of a joy space last week, I want you to, we're going to spend maybe 30 seconds in silence, to kind of imagine the safest, most comfy place that you can imagine that Jesus has given you in your life history. And Adrian's going to just prompt you with a couple questions. And uh, if this is still totally uh, uh, difficult to grasp, well, this book is going to do a great deal more in helping with that. And there's also a podcast if you hate reading related to this book. So, Hi, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> um, so we, last week, Jeff started um, kind of introducing uh, this book and these concepts, but really, if you've been a part of life with Jeff and I, we have um, really enjoyed engaging in imaginative prayer for a really long time. We're really grateful for it. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a little bit of a, um, just a, a mind-racing activity-centric type person. So these things are really hard for me, you know? And, and I think that's okay. There are, there are different personalities that all of us have and different proclivities that we all have. And it's, I really believe strongly that even if we add a little bit more of this into our life, 
um, it will be a blessing to us, even just a little bit more. So um, if you would like to close your eyes, or if you'd like to keep your eyes open, you're welcome to do whatever you're comfortable with. And um, just take a minute to breathe, just slowly. Just breathe with me and pay attention to your body and how it feels. Um, allow kind of your um, back and the, the back bottom of your body to just kind of rest into the chair if you're able. Just let your body be a little relaxed. Just come Holy Spirit. So as a young person, um, I moved around a lot. And home was something that was difficult for me to uh, kind of picture as safe. And my parents were absolutely wonderful, loving people. And we were involved in the ministry. But we just moved around a lot. And therefore, in my life, home was... Um, I can't, even now, I can't kind of picture home as feeling like, yeah, but home feels great, you know, as a kid. So that's my story. And during this prayer, we're just going to think about home. And um, since I married Jeff, we've been in the same house for 25 years. And that's really fun for me. I'm really grateful for it. Home feels very safe for me now. So what I want you to ask yourself is, what does home feel like to me? What does it feel like when I think of the word home? Where is it that you feel safe? For me, it's definitely a cup of tea. What is it for you? How do you know that you feel safe at home? Who's there with you? What does it look like? What's the lighting like? How is it that you maybe like to feel, invite others into that feeling of home? Is there anything that for you just, you love just inviting other people into? Safety. I want you to imagine, if you're able, I want you to imagine then that God is there with you in that place where you feel safe and you feel at home. Are you able to do that? Is it... Is it safe for you to invite God there with you? I want you in your heart to really be honest with God right now. And maybe invite God there with you in your imagination. Now while we're here in this space, I'd love for you to think about all of us have different things that weigh on us and burden us. And I want you to think about what stands out to you most as the burden that you are carrying right now. And 
you to, as you are thinking and feeling this place of safety, can you allow God to carry this burden with you? Can you just take one inch closer to trusting this burden to God? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is here with us. I just thank you, Lord, for these people. And if you're at home joining us, God bless you. May the Holy Spirit just carry that burden and show you how you need that burden carried with you. And while you're in this kind of safe space, we're going to move into communion together. There was a little bit of a mishap with the communion, and we had to redo it. So thank you for those of you that did that. Would you guys stand with me? Yeah. Um, Jesus has brought something to drink and something to eat. And I want you to imagine Jesus with you and saying, like, hey, this is one of the favorite meals I have with people I love. This is the meal I have with people, my people, my family. And he just thanks God. And he thanks God uh, for his provision. And Jesus prays. And he thanks God for you. He thanks God the Father for you. And then Jesus gets specific and he starts to tell God just what he loves about you. Maybe you could just imagine one thing that God laughs, Jesus smiles at. Some idiosyncrasy that he smiles at. He gives thanks and he said, okay, here, take this. This is my body. And voluntarily, it's broken for you. He said, I'll take the heartbreak in the broken body to be present to you. So whenever you eat, remember, I, I willingly give everything to restore your life. Let's take the bread. And then I want you to imagine that in preparation to take the cup, Jesus, like... You've had a bunch of crackers or something or bread and you're kind of parched and he gets ready, he brings out a cooler with whatever beverage you enjoy and he goes, we need to wet our whistle a bit. He takes the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. New covenant, really ancient religious legal term. He's, what he's saying is, this is the new paradigm that all of life is going to revolve around. And this is the new way, this is new regime this is a new operating system. This is a totally different way of life. You've lived in black and white. Upon drinking this cup, everything's going to become colorful. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Some of you have coffee, you can do that. And the Apostle Paul says, in the same way, continue to celebrate this till Christ returns. Now, as we begin to worship, 
We're staying in this place. Close your eyes if you can re-enter this place. Just pure logic probably dictates that every person here has something in the near future that is intimidating. Maybe it's an awkward conversation they need to have. Maybe they need to confess something, make a relationship right, or any number of things. You have something that is hard in front of you. And imagine after breaking bread with Jesus, he goes, Jesus says, what do you have before you right now? What do you have before you that I can be present to you in? Because I am with you in this. And I want you just for a few moments, think of telling Jesus what is before you that is hard. And how knowing that Jesus is the most compassionate person to ever exist. What does Jesus look like? How, what are his facial expressions and how is he present to you as you share this intimidating uh, fact with him? And maybe, what does Jesus say to you? Or does he say anything? How does Jesus hug you? How is Jesus present to you when you tell him this thing? And now, if I could, we'd like people to, prayer people to go and line this. Now, one way Jesus is physically present to us is through one another. Many of us have imposter syndrome. Many of us feel like if people really knew whatever, they would think whatever. But here is the truth. Despite anything you may think, Jesus is present in you to be present to someone else in one way, shape, or form. So how we celebrate that with our bodies, we move our bodies to another human that bears the image of God, and we speak to them something we would speak to Jesus, and we ask them to pray for us. And we have no one here is a super spiritual person. We're just people that pray and will physically as humans stand in solidarity with you, say a prayer for you, welcome God to you and let you know you are enough and God is here for you. So I wanna invite you to take whatever you took to Jesus in your joy place, in your home base, and bring that to someone and receive prayer. God bless you. You guys are of immeasurable worth and value. And God has good things for you. Amen.